Welcome to Handmaids and Harlots, a weekly podcast that explores both the Handmaid's Tale and Harlots series produced by Hulu. This podcast is marked as heavy spoilers, as it will include episode-by-episode synopsis, as well as analysis of both shows and their written source material. The textual references for this podcast are The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Miss Atwood's book and forthcoming second installment, Testaments. Textual references for all Harlots-related podcasts will be taken from Hallie Rubinold's book, The Covent Garden Ladies, Pimp General Jack and the Extraordinary Story of Harris's Lists, as well as interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Harlots by Hulu. Join me, Ray, and my co-host, Kay, as we watch, read, and discuss these two provocative and intelligent stories. Opening with the ringing of the church bells, lines of handmaidens being escorted across the bridge, bright red lines of two. Wives are being led beside their husbands, and Martha's walk in their own rows. Filed behind them are the Econo people. They're coming together to give thanks to the babies born in the district, while Offred wonders who can be turned into the rebellion. Aunt Lydia rides in a scooter, telling them to be on their best behavior, and each handmaiden is being searched by an aunt and told that the most blessed handmaids, who have given a child to Gilead, will be given the best view. Of Howard slash Janine is told to stop squirming and giggling as she is being searched. June is told that of Matthew is also allowed an honored seat. We cut to a scene of handmaids from an above shot up a staircase that seems to appear as an eye. June questions of Matthew of having a baby, where of Matthew responds, she's had three. The scene moves to the memory of Hannah in a church wearing a baptism gown. Holly and Moira come in to coo the child while Luke lets the group know that Jerry, who is noted as the worst possible choice for Godfather, missed his train and asked and is confirmed they should do this without him. Holly says they should cancel as it's a sign. Hannah doesn't need to be sanctified by holier-than-thou child molesters, and the few people there send a glare her way. June tries to shush her mother, and Holly said that June's father wouldn't have cared and that June shouldn't let religion control her choices. Moira says she's sure they weren't excited about her being the fairy godmother. When Hannah creates a stink, Holly tries to say it's another sign, but after a scuffle saying that they didn't need to be there, Luke says they're doing it. The shot ends of June taking a breath in the light of the church. Organ music plays as the handmaids take their seats. June notices that Fred sits alone, no Serena at his side. She said she ought to feel rage at Fred, but she's got more complicated feelings than that, but she knows it's not love. The doors open and the commanders and wives come in carrying their children. Janine smiles at the sight of her baby. June notices of Matthew's child and says he's cute. Uh, Matthew responds that they're all beautiful miracles, and the sanctifying ceremony begins. The scene moves back to Hannah's baptism, the love between Luke and June, along with a small hiccup as Moira confirms her answer with an I do before responding with a quick yes. As June opens her eyes, the whole congregation is asked if they will vow to pray and encourage the parents to raise their children in fear of the Lord. They respond that they do. There's a shot of the children of Gilead dressed in corresponding pinks and blue. And again, we are returned to Hannah's baptism before the organ music pulls June back to the present. When the leader of prayer begins to mention that they must not forget about the innocent stolen child, Nicole Hawley. The prayer is to keep her safe. 
the focus on June's face as they all chant amen. It opens back on Emily in Canada, walking her way on the street from a subway. She looks worried and pensive, but she keeps moving. When at the entrance of the subway, she looks around as the noise of the street becomes louder. She finally catches sight of Sylvia, and there's an awkward moment where they start to make their way towards each other, when Sylvia apologized for not being able to find a space, and after a hesitant moment, they hug each other. We then move to the red travel van for the handmaids. Aunt Lydia is inside and catches sight of June looking at her. She asks if she has something to say. June just mentions she's worried for her. The commander and Mrs. Putnam have invited the handmaids to come to the reception, and Lydia reminds Jane, Janine, to be a good girl. They are all led into the Putnam house, and we hear Naomi playing hostess. Naomi actually thanks June for her actions at the bridge, then looks over to Janine and blesses her. Motioning for them to enter into another building after Aunt Lydia tried to enter into the main hall with the wives and commanders. A Matthew says they shouldn't be here, that it's not how that works, which June dismisses with a call to food. June straggles behind so she can get a look at the main hall. She catches sight of Fred moving through the halls while Serena Joy sneaks up behind her, asking if she's missed anything. June jokes with her, saying she missed the jello shots, charades, and karaoke. She notes that Serena wasn't at the dedication, and Serena Joy responds she didn't want to be a distraction. June reminds her that the wives look up to her to lead them. When Serena reminds June that half walked out on her, June reminds her that half didn't. She asks June if she is regretful for not leaving, and June says she couldn't without Hannah, and she might be lucky enough to see her again. While Serena laments she may not see Nicole Hawley again, Fred walks over and tries to reach for her. Serena Joy pulls away. He offers her his hand, and Serena Joy walks past him again. We return to Canada, where Emily is standing in the living room, looking around the sights of a household that shows signs of life and a well-loved child. Pictures of her son and her wife are all around, as well as his drawings. Sylvia comes back with a glass of water and clangs her wedding ring against the glass before speaking, asking if she wanted some food or some of her favorite tea. Emily says she doesn't want to make things awkward and that she can stay at the hotel. Sylvia says that Oliver will be home soon, and he's excited to see her. Emily asks if Oliver remembers her, to which uh, Sylvia takes her upstairs to his room. It's covered in dinosaurs, but pictures of him and both his mother's. More above his bed are pictures of him and just Emily. He had a drawing of Emily as a superhero trying to get back home. Oliver stands in the doorway as he greets Emily and tells her they aren't supposed to hug until she's ready. He tells her about school and they get to look over his drawings of fossils. Aunt Lydia limps around to another room where she finds a place to settle in and sit. Janine brings her some tea, offering to get Lydia food. Aunt Lydia says she knows how the girls feel about her after Janine said they all prayed for her to get better, that she's blamed for Emily. The other handmaids commiserate in the kitchen as of Matthew speaks up for Lydia, saying she was doing her best. Fred enters and greets the handmaids, telling them they should eat at the buffet. The handmaids leave, to which June reminds him they weren't supposed to be eating from the buffet. He sits and talks about his concerns with Serena. June offers a means of bringing Serena back to him to offer Serena joy and more freedoms. Behind the scenes, of course. We see Serena in the pool room having a smoke, with June enters exclaiming about the pool room while crossing the room to sitting Serena Joy. June then tells her that Fred wishes to reconciliate by giving Serena Joy more freedoms in their marriage to move the point of power. June then joins her in leaning back in the lounge chairs where Serena offers her a cigarette and June indulges. We return to Emily, coming up the stairs to see Oliver being put down for bed, where he asks for Emily to read the dinosaur book to him. When she starts to cry and get choked up, Oliver starts to read to Emily. Sylvia and Emily try to keep from crying too loudly. 
We return to the commanders and wives with June following Serena Joy. Angela is brought into the room. She's awake. The commanders make a joke about smart girls being trouble. And Janine tries to sneak in to see the baby. Naomi asks if Serena would like to hold her. Janine asks Naomi to hold the baby as Aunt Lydia walks into the room. Naomi allows Janine to hold her for a few moments before handing her back. Janine says that maybe Angela could have another sibling by saying she wanted to be their handmaid again. When Janine mentions she just wishes to be their daughter, Aunt Lydia starts to beat Janine until June throws herself over her, who is dragged away by guardians and leaves Aunt Lydia in front of shocked wives and commanders. She has no excuse to give for her actions. She just leaves after offering an apology. When Aunt Lydia escapes to another room, she falls into a chair and breaks into sobs. Emily is just leaving the house and Sylvia is sitting on the porch with a beer. She asks if Emily needs anything and Emily says she'll check into the hotel, but does sit to join Sylvia for a while. We return to the handmaids getting ready to leave. Of Matthew says, that's what she gets. Serena Joy laments about what happened for Naomi. And when June tries to leave and not look at her, Serena Joy whispers to June about how she might be able to see Hannah again and is away as soon as she finishes. We return to June's memory of Hannah's baptism, of how happy they were to do this, to give thanks to God for their healthy baby. Returning to the present, a guardian comes in and tells the commander that he needs to speak to Commander Waterford. June follows, and the sound of a video plays. When she enters, she's identified as the previous handmaid of the Waterfords, and she's asked to identify the man in the video. It's of Luke and Nicole Hawley at a protest to support Chicago. June's asked if this man was Luke, and all she can do is respond with a yes. While Serena Joy continues to watch the video, June slides down the wall outside, mid-crying and laughing. The last scene shows us with Luke and Moira trying to explain to a priest why they, the non-parents, were baptizing a child. Once explaining the mother is in Gilead, a baptism is performed, and the child is washed away of sins. And welcome once again to Handmaids and Harlots. And I'm Ray. I'm Kay. And we're your co-hosts for this episode. For every episode. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to talk about in this this episode. I loved this episode. What was the title for this episode? God Bless the Child. Oh, yeah. I loved this episode. It's a good one. How come we didn't hear that song? Which song? God Bless the Child. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they were just thinking about it and then just was like, eh, I don't know. But I mean, the shots were great for this episode. Like that staircase shot. Yes. The visuals were really impactful in this episode. I will will indulge myself just a little (laughs) bit here. I really liked the the way they worked the foreground, in particular in the Putnam home. Mm-hmm. A lot. Because there's like all that stuff, like these interplays and political maneuvering going on in the crowd behind Serena. And you know what I mean? I just thought it was really well done and put together. And I love that scene in the staircase. I thought that was really good. I thought it was interesting about the groups getting together at the very beginning. Yeah. Because there was the handmaids and there was the husband and wives. And then you saw the Marthas join and be find everybody else was the Econo people. Right. I'm surprised they were brought in at all for this, but I guess they, they're having kids too. So in their district. Yeah, I guess they would. I guess. So I thought it was interesting. I did. I liked um, <laughs> a lot of the visual flair of it was exceptional. 
there was um, one other moment I'm trying to think of that I thought the visuals was really good, were really good. Hmm. <laughs> oh, Emily's sense of claustrophobia coming out of the, the train thing. Yeah. The sound coming up on there, too. Yeah, the wall of sound and then all the motion and movement. Like, that was really, I thought that was really well done, too. Because it really conveyed well. Of course, it's so hard to say. Her actress is so good. But so it, good. I felt it really set that set that scene apart, too, visually. Because you really got a sense of it. And then her wife coming from far away like that. And intervening. It was interesting, you know what I mean? Intervening in her disassociation, you know? Mm-hmm. That comes this this light comes out of all the chaos and sort of brings her back to the moment, which I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. So there, that's our like five minute blurb about how damn great the photography and the director of photography and the scene and set design is in this show. Oh my god, yes, I know, right? Uh. So as usual, we came up with some themes. Just a few. Okay, you want to roll us through what you picked out as main themes? The one I picked up was about love versus fear in religion. Agreed. Which is interesting because she hits on kind of the expression of, or our, I guess, the things that we picked up on either overlap or dovetail because the theme that I picked up on in that entire episode was the argument or it's yeah it is kind of an argument between faith versus religion or faith versus dogma Mm -hmm. and dogma has a way of inspiring fear in people Mm -hmm. but faith is what inspires love it's interesting that Kay picked that out too Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's straight up mentioned in the first part of the first uh, baptism scenes, or I guess not oh, the right when they're being juxtaposed. Yeah, the, you know the uh, priest is saying, "Are you going to raise this child in love of God?" And then the uh, Catholic um, one, the Gilead one, they're all saying that it's a, a fear uh, uh, in raise them up in fear of God. Yeah, that is good. They do a really good job there juxtaposing the two differences. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly hitting you over the head with it, but it's close. It's close. It's a little subtle. It tries. It tries a little. (laughs) Um, There were so many kids, though. Like, oh, do you think those are the like commanders' kids or the or the Kano kids? uh, I think they're commanders' kids because last time we saw an Kano kid, they were. Wearing the same kind of shabby gray that their parents were. I think these are commander's kids. So they were either children that were taken by Gilead for like the women in Chicago, like, right? Their children or like Junes, like mm-hmm. was taken and then reallocated. Or they're natural born children, do you think? I don't know. There's doesn't be there's not a whole lot of talk about many of the commanders and them having biological children but maybe they're either taken from the handmaids or maybe they're possibly depending on how young they are they're children that came from the very very first handmaids 
like because we don't really know do we and in the book we know that we know that the waterfords is june 2nd posting in the book Mm -hmm. we don't know if she's ever had any other children however too true but uh from the way it sounds at least for the tv show that it's her second that um nicole hawley is her second Mostly because I think if she's not going to leave Hannah and she didn't want to leave uh, Nicole Hawley, why would she leave any other children behind? Right. Unless she's just picking favorites. I don't know. I don't know either. But yeah. Oh, no, she didn't have, at least she didn't have it with the last commander because it was, didn't work out with old so-and-so. Right. So maybe she's, she's just got Hannah and Holly. So it's interesting because, you know, I, I think about that. It's like, well, how long have they been getting away with this? But some of those kids are pretty old for what we get and then the collapsed timeline of the show. So I'm not really sure mm-hmm. how to interpret it. It so could be things. just a mix. Yeah, it's really hard to say. But we do know that they have a habit of taking children from women that they shove in the red center and making <laughs> them adopted children of commanders. So... Maybe Very true. a good portion of them are. So that was interesting. That was a good theme. And I think it went through pretty well the whole episode. Because June's words, her internal monologue as regards to what they were doing, sort of echoed things about the love versus fear and the love or the faith versus dogma. Mm-hmm. Or religion. And then some of the things that Serena says kind of touch on it, I think. Because she doesn't really love Fred anymore. I mean, and who could Mm -mm. blame her? Her religiosity and the realities of Gilead. Means that she's forced to. Yeah, she has to at least play the game. Right? And that all she really loves is her daughter. Which, I get it, people can argue whether or not she's her daughter, but if June says that she's her daughter, she's her daughter. Mm -hmm. So there's, like, that argument inside Serena, even, about what is faith and what is love. Yeah. What is, you know what I mean? Duty, religiosity, dogma, how does that all tangle up for her? And she's having a hard time with that struggle. June seems to be okay with it, because she's... Like we talked about, I said I was worried about her becoming kind of a religious robot, but maybe not. Maybe Maybe nothing to worry about. Well, it was good that they, it's funny, isn't it? Because we asked that question, or I said something about it. It was episode two. I was like, hmm. (laughs) And then we get this episode that gives it a little more context that, like, her and Luke may not have been super adherents to religion, but they were, they believed in God. And that they, they believed in something involving something. this kind of thing. Yeah, and that they had they believed they had faith. Even if it wasn't super defined or super you know, it wasn't super public, which is another <laughs> another theme, but we'll finish this one up first. But <laughs> I thought it was really good. Like that was another thing that I that did stick out is that Luke is actually, you know, for being I don't know, kind of this guy who's fairly hapless. He should pray more, maybe now. I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, no, I mean, it It could be pushing towards it, though, with the, the ending of the episode. Yeah, with him and Moira, it could be. It could be. It could be like a return to that, a reconciliation for them both with religiosity, considering what it has cost them. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? Because, I mean, Luke literally could just say, well, you know, after all of this and what happened back in America and what's going on in Gilead, fuck religion. Mm-hmm. Like, how could a loving God do like, allow this to happen? Right. And f- and fuck getting this kid, you know, baptized because, you know, yeah, no. But he has faith. And it is the love that he feels for the people around him, I think, that are the expression of that. I liked that this kind of made a scene of like Nicole slash Holly being baptized in love, even out, even being inside like a refugee camp that she's baptized in love rather than the fear of Gilead. Right. And that the priest, like when he started like putting up roadblocks, as soon as they explained the context, he was like down. Oh yeah. He was like, "Uh, where's the mom Gilead? Well, let's get going then. Let's get on that. Let's do this. So I thought that was really fantastic. For, mm-hmm. I think it's a an interesting theme that maybe they'll use more throughout this season because I think it's something that contextually in America we don't we don't think about enough. Mm-hmm. And everybody's race to like be approved of in this country, like there's a strange wearing on the sleeve of one's religiosity and i it's weird to me because i didn't grow up with that like i mean i did after about 1983 i want you to know i wasn't even born yet yeah i know you weren't (laughs) in high school like the wearing of their a person's religiosity as a badge of honor in public and as a part of public discourse was (laughs) not a thing until after Reagan took office. And then it became a huge thing. It, um, like, I know that the closest, the closest I ever got was them asking you what religion you were so they could make sure you got to your church sermons and that you had the correct religious burial if necessary. Oh, when you were in the army or the navy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they do that. They've always done that because if you. Yeah, but that was like that. the closest it's ever come. Right. Yeah, they stamp it on, don't they stamp it on dog tags still? Yeah, they do. Unfortunately, they messed up on mine. Oh. They put no requested religion and I was like, at the time, I was like, I'm Lutheran. (laughs) Don't just, don't just toss me somewhere. But I I got really angry because the person who had put Pastafarian got theirs. Oh. I was like, hmm. But now I'm like, nah, it's fine. (laughs) Whatever. Well, yeah. You're not Lutheran anymore either. <laughs> that is very true. That that's, you know what I mean? It's, it's become a badge of honor now. And, mm-hmm. and, and as a result of it becoming this thing you wear on your sleeve, like an identifier, this is also part of the reason I feel like some of the culture wars that we are experiencing that are so like pre Gilead are so personal to people because they have extended what is or at least in my opinion, should be a personal thing, your faith. Mm-hmm. Maybe want to share it with people, sure. But I mean, like, it shouldn't be, it's not necessarily required to exist and to have, participate in public discourse. That It's like, I mentioned this before, you know, people make the joke about veganism and it, how, how do you know a vegan when you meet one? Because they'll tell you in the first five minutes that you know them, they're a vegan, right? And and I don't know that I just, I agree with that joke. I've, people have said it, I've heard it. And so please 
any vegans listening, don't take offense. I'm not saying that I think that because I've met vegan people that aren't like that. And I know vegetarian people that aren't like that either. But I will say this. It's been my experience that people who are of an evangelical bent absolutely tell you within the first 10 minutes of you knowing them. Mm -hmm. Like it's like it's like their entire being becomes being evangelical. They're not men or women or blonde or German or any other thing. Like they're not any of that. They're evangelical first because that's like the most important thing. And in that there's this seems to be this desire for recognition for it. And then they want it's, it just seems like that's the whole interest in legislating evangelical dogma, like what we see in Gilead into being in our current laws is because it's, it's um, confirmation bias. You know, I need everything to be my religion so that I feel good about my religion. Does that make sense? I do think it's rather interesting that if we're just looking at Christianity, that in fact, the Bible said, I believe even Jesus said that you should be quiet in your prayer and your everything. You shouldn't be out on the street corner screaming it out. You need to do it in quiet and keep it to yourself, essentially. I mean, not that I'm a big supporter of the Elizabeth the First idea that, you know, people were Protestant, public and Catholic and private. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. saying I don't think that's what you're saying either. I don't think that's what Jesus meant to say. But it's not about public life. It's about your personal relationship with God. Oh, yeah. Seems to be a thing missing. Isn't that interesting? That seems to be a real thing missing in Gilead. Absolutely. For all the ceremonies that we see, do we see the family sit around the table and share a meal and a common prayer? No. I don't think we even see the the wives and commanders go to church. No, we don't. We see these big meetings where they talk a thing every once in a while. But do we see the actual daily connection with faith that we would, I would expect from somebody who is devout? of moments of prayer and all of these things. It's almost like if we set up society to be a const, you know, like this, we'll never have to pray again because we'll all be without sin, except we all know that that's not possible. It's true. Right? So this is interesting. And it's interesting to look at it from the perspective of what's going on in the U S right now, because of all of the, political unrest around this very issue. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the uh, reconciliation involved between Serena, Joy, and Fred coming back together because honestly, the two of them need each other in some twisted way because Fred needs Serena Joy. He's he, he's kind of like a lost puppy right now. And Serena Joy needs him because in Gilead, that's kind of her only choice. The fact that Fred is even considering giving her more freedoms in their marriage which honestly, for me, the first thing my head went to was her swinging, <laughs> like marriage swinging, like switch oh, partners. Really? I that that was my brain went straight to when she was like, you know, give you more marriage, give you more freedom in your marriage, and I was like, swinging? Is she talking about? Oh no, no, no. Okay, she's serious business, June. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't go there, but like going there makes me amused. It's what I've I got. Have- 
visions of Serena and Commander Lawrence. <laughs> oh, that he might could... have something to do with Twitter, but probably not. Probably. I- I'm thinking probably. So you had kind of figured out that there was this reconciliation theme. Can you think of any other places that we see that? Besides <laughs> just between Fred and Serena? There's a reconciliation between June and Serena, definitely. Because June's no longer playing the, the weak handmaid that she even pay- played in an episode or so ago. She- she's just straight out saying things now. Except for Fred. Fred, she's doing the same. Right. And then she's pushing Serena. Mm-hmm. A bit. Just a smidgen. Well, it's more, more firmly than she had been, I think. Yeah, she's straight out telling her she's got to do something. Right. So those two are, are kind of reconciled to each other anyway. And let's see, what else is there for reconciliation? Emily and Sylvia. Yes. And, and not that that's te- quote unquote a technical reconciliation, but mm-hmm. it's certainly a reintegration into their relationship that mm-hmm. is going to take some time. I'm guessing they're going to have a, different time of it than Fred and Serena are going to have. Yeah, but it seems like Sylvia has been working with somebody. Right. So Sylvia is clearly seems committed to making that work. You know, she doesn't push Emily stay in the house. You know, she's not pushing her to do anything. She's giving time. She's giving notes that she's coming into a room. It It's, you know, she's offering her home, but not pushing her to... to to come back and she even made sure that her son their son was not there which would give emily a moment or two to settle into the house yeah because otherwise it would have been really emotionally overloading for emily i think Mm -hmm. and i think that would i think that would have been something that if sylvia had talked to somebody or or if she had done any kind of research that it would have let her know i wonder how long it'll be before sylvia suggests they go to couples counseling Oh, I don't know, but I think that it's both coming. of them should go. I think it's coming. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great thing about the show is I feel like we're going to get an opportunity to see how dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder in a marriage or any close relationship should be done. Mm-hmm. You know, too oftentimes people who have combat-related PTSD come home and nobody gives them a moment to breathe. Oh, yeah. They never really get that chance to, like, reintegrate. And it's because the family's so happy to have them. And they're so, they are so happy to be home. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's steps to reintegrating to, into society that have to be taken. Not everybody's going to have to stay as long at each step as the next guy because everybody's experience with PTSD is different. But at the same time, I love that this show is taking an opportunity to show us model to us how that should be, how it should happen. Because you're right. They do everything right. She tells the son not to touch her mother until her mother says it's okay. She signals to her when she walks into a room where Emily has been alone for a while so that Emily's not startled or frightened because she shows up. And all that stuff is really very well done. I wonder if she's been training for this, like, a while kind of thing. Yeah. In hopes. Yeah. That Emily would come home. 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really really a really intelligent and sensitive treatment of the issue. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah, I like it. Um, so there's that reintegration for Emily to reintegrate into her family, right? And there's Fred and Serena reintegrating into the commander world, right? Because Serena has been basically hiding out at her mom's and avoiding her responsibilities now for a little bit. So, I mean, even if they get a new handmaid, technically Fred's not supposed to do anything until he has his wife there. No ceremony, no nothing. Right. This makes you wonder how many times he's been to fucking Jezebel's. Probably a lot. Terrible. I know. So, so there's that in reintegration, but I also think there's something to be said for the attempt of Janine to reintegrate into or reconcile reconciliation, reintegrate. Cause then we both have a different thing. Her attempt to reconcile with the Putnam's and the Putnam's attempt to reconcile with her. Oh God, that, that entire scene just made me sit on edge. Like the second I saw Janine come into view, I was like, no, 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 no. It was so heartbreaking. It was. On like a thousand levels. There's, you can see Mrs. Putnam, like you can see Naomi is like both horrified and ashamed, right? Because she knows what Janine has been through now. Like she's starting to understand really. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and is fearful for her daughter under all of these circumstances. You have June who is heartbroken because she's been thinking Janine was doing well, right? And Aunt Lydia just being essentially just in pain and all sorts of things. Because I don't think they're giving her painkillers for any of this. Oh, I'm guessing she's not taking them either. And the other thing is that she's heartbroken. Because mm-hmm. she knows how the girls feel about her. Well, and I think she's starting to understand. I think that's why she's so angry. I, I think, think so. She's starting to understand what's what she has traded up. What she <laughs> thinks she's traded up. We get a little view on that from what June's quote of her about it's hard when men revile you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, is Lydia like... And then her heartbreak at that she beat up. And she knows. She knows Janine meant her no ill will. Mm-hmm. She acknowledges Janine is a, loves her and cares about her. Oh, yes. But Absolutely. Her, her sense of duty and her pain and her all of the horrible things that Aunt Lydia must feel in a given day, considering her status and her situation and what she's forced to do. Just all of it comes out all of a sudden at Janine like that. And it just, it it really seemed interesting that she didn't seem to notice what she did at first. Once the guardians took Janine away and, you know, it was dead silent. And she was, the first thing she said was what? Like she didn't realize that they had seen everything that she had did or how bad it actually was. Yeah. She's lost all sense of proportion. Mm -hmm. Proportionality. Because, uh, Emily, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. But I don't want to blame Emily for it either. Because. Mm -mm. No. 
Lydia deserved that fucking steak knife in the back and a shove down the stairs. It's only too bad she didn't die when she hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, everybody's fangirling over Aunt Lydia, and I'm, you're not the only one. I love it too. <laughs> but the reality is that she's as complicit in these rapes of all these handmaids as Serena Joy or Fred or anybody else. Because she's trying, she's trying to brainwash and train them. And yeah, she's consistently happens. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's not. She doesn't get a free pass. It still hurt a little when she was crying. Oh, yeah. I was hurt for her. But it's the same way I'm hurt for Serena when Serena does stupid shit. Oh, yeah. Because I want Serena to wake up. To do something about it. Yes, because you see her fighting herself about it. But then she just comes right back to where at the end of the, at the end of the party, she sits there and goes, poor Naomi. And it's like, I'm sorry, who? Who should feel bad about that? Yeah. And, and June is just like slam. Mm -hmm. And, and the best part is too, is that she gets it. And she gets it enough that she then tells June where to find Hannah. Yeah. It's like. Uh, all I could think was, June, please don't try to kidnap your child, please. <laughs> she's gonna, though. She's gonna try. I mean, there's no way she can't try. Mm hmm. Especially, well, depending on how things play out with Holly, I, I mean. And, you know, and as a mark, we neither have seen the next episode. <laughs> we haven't. Despite the spoilerage ad nauseum everywhere, we have <laughs> not. And I'm just thinking in terms of like the long game, you know, that's yeah. got to be. And, uh, you know, I'm worried about it a little bit. But at the same time, that'd be what I would do. I mean, I've raised two children to adulthood. Mm-hmm. If some, if I knew that if I was, if either one of them had been taken away from me at the, at any point, and I knew they were, you know, three subway stations away, mm-hmm. I'd fucking be on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't blame June for that, really. I mean, I wish she'd think through her plan a little better. Yeah. That's so the that's- only thing I'm really worried about is she's not going to think through this stuff. Yeah, I'm still concerned. I think she has a lot more to learn from Lawrence before she actually engages. And if she doesn't take the opportunity to learn it from Lawrence, I think she's bound to fail. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. So, but yeah, those reconciliations and reunions are, or reintegrations are really key in this episode, I think. Oh, Absolutely. I think, too, that Fred is far more comfortable with June and his reconciliation than Serena is with hers and June's reconciliation. hmm There yeah. is... Uh, he feels too comfortable around her. Do you think he loves her? I think or he... thinks he thinks he is in love with her? I think he thinks he's in love with her. Just the way he talks between the two of them. She also acknowledges that it's complicated feeling. It, it does make me want to scream, though, June. 
that Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, that other thing you feel? That's Stockholm syndrome. You're, you know. You identify with your captors. Yeah. You're, you're not, you know, in love. You're trying to consolidate your feelings towards massive amounts of threat of punishment versus some kindness. And I think, too, maybe she's starting to pity him. A little bit, yeah. I think that's an interesting thing is that I think she's starting to pity him a lot. Mm -hmm. Which maybe she'll get around to verbalizing at some point. I don't know. Because he is. Well, she kind of pointed, she kind of says it at first when she says that the whole thing to Serena that he can't, you know, without you, he's, you know. And it's true. I mean, like I said before, a couple episodes ago, there isn't, Fred's never had a good idea. He didn't steal from Serena. Mm-hmm. He, and, and Lauren said he is dumb and he is. He's swimming way over his pay grade with these other men or even with this position of leadership that he's in because he was never the leader. Mm-hmm. It was Serena who was the leader. He just really worked on the how to, how to sell it to the men. Yeah. That's about all he did. Yeah, he just drifted along on her coattails. And without her, it's not just that he's an incomplete or a failed commander who can't keep his house in order. He literally doesn't have anybody he can go to that will give him any kind of counsel that is useful to him. Because mm-hmm. he's put himself in a position where he can't trust anybody. Right, he's demoted too. Yep. But he seems to be okay with dealing with June, which I think is interesting. I can't wait till the first time he hits on her. First time? <laughs> oh, well, with no, Lawrence I mean, there. Like, now that she, you know that she's like actually with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She's not his handmaid anymore. No, that'd be inappropriate. Very inappropriate. Especially with such a high-ranking other commander. Oh, yeah, you're right. Let's try and cuckold him, huh? How about we do that? Yeah, the, the, the Jesus commander. We're going to start shit there. That sounds like a plan. Oh, yeah. So we talked about... Faith versus religion and reintegration or reconciliation as reconciliation, reintegration, kind of as a dual, a dual thing here, because it's represented in several different character interactions throughout the show. But then there's also the whole personal versus public and appearances versus reality. I think the wives are really showing theirs, especially with the jokes about how smart girls are trouble. I love that fucking side eye on us, Naomi. Oh, she had some. She looked like she was about ready to whip around and start some stuff. I'm expecting that Warren got his ass chewed after everybody left. I can hope. I have a feeling about Naomi Putnam that she, it's too bad that June wasn't in her house. Mm -hmm. Actually, because I have a feeling that Naomi would have been, she at this point with June, she would totally be, let's go get us some guns. Let's let's go get us some guns. Because, I mean, Warren cheated on her with Janine. Promised mm-hmm. her a bunch of shit that wasn't going to happen. Ever. Right? <laughs> Just all of it. All of the shit that he has gotten away with, really. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then to hear that. So it's good that Naomi is, like, pissed off. You can tell. I can't remember. Did Naomi walk away? When she was reading the book last season, I, I don't think she did. No, I think she st- she stood with her. 
Because mm-hmm. wasn't she like the last one to leave afterwards when they were all outside? Yeah, I think so. If I remember correctly. And I'm wondering too about Alma's house. Yeah. Can I just say, it seems to me that Alma's house must be pretty lax because she says things without even thinking. No, she just, <laughs> hell on wheels. And she knows stuff that other people don't. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious about Alma's house. I don't think we'll ever get that. But that's the interesting thing is like where there's Alma's personal or public persona is I don't give a fuck. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, she doesn't care about any of the other handmaids and what they hear that she says. Like, she's not even afraid about getting reported. Mm-mm. I mean, and she got burned. She did. Did she go back to the same household? I don't know. Weren't they all there on punishment for something? Yeah. She must have gone back to the same household. And she's just as surly as ever. And more so all the time, it seems. So I kind of wonder if, like, there's a whole other bunch of stuff we're just not seeing. So, you know, if that's her public persona, what does she get away with at home? Oh, God. Is she like Cora at home? Maybe. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Because she, the way she talked about it, like her commander lets her kind of get away with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. At least it sounded like. Yeah. Like it's pretty lax. So there's that. I thought that was interesting. That she that Alma just drops whatever truth she feels like dropping in whatever context she's in. I mean, she just doesn't care. And I think that's interesting considering their circumstances and the fact that she did get punished for this kind of thing. Just saying whatever. You know? It's... It does not. It's Alma does not. She just cannot. Uh, she just, I don't know. She's just so crazy. Crazy? I don't know. She's crazy. I love it. That she's. Oh, no, I still love it. I just. I love it that she just says what she thinks. And I think that's why June likes her, too, because, like, she even says shit June wouldn't say out loud. Mm hmm. So there's that. But then there's also the whole private Serena and public Serena, right? Mm-hmm. And how she appears to everyone else is this wounded, hurt, fragile woman right now. Everybody's so concerned about Serena. Oh, Naomi being like, oh, you're here. It's so great to see you. Want to hold my baby? <laughs> Oh, yeah, and just so concerned and doting almost. And, oh, you didn't have to come, right? And all that sort of business. When we all know that, like, Serena, yeah, in her in her moments, she breaks down over this. But most of the time, I get the impression she's thinking about, how the fuck do I kill Fred and get out of here? Yeah, yeah just the entire time. Fred, don't touchy. Don't touch any of the women. Yeah, it's like she's trying to figure it out. Like, how the fuck did get out of this situation. So I think it's really curious thing that we're getting this side. And then there's the June public and private. Mm-hmm. And she's getting more and more comfortable just showing her real face. I think so. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's making more jokes with Serena too. Yeah. Yeah. And Fred, it's like she didn't have any more. I mean, other than that, you know, she plays a cute and coy card with him often enough to keep him smiling. But in general, she just says things to him but then she'll turn around and and i don't know what to make of her attitude towards aunt lydia though because i don't know i don't know if she's just trying to get aunt lydia off her back 
or what? Or what's going on there? It, it, it's an awkwardness. I wonder if she feels a little bit, you know, just really conflicted. About Aunt Lydia? Maybe she does. It's hard to say. But I think it's interesting. And you see this delicate sort of dance with all of them. The main characters are the characters that we get in point of view shots. There's dialogue is that there is definitely this tension between what is internal or private between individuals and what everyone else sees and what everyone else is allowed to know or understand about them. And then the whole way that appears like this crafting of an appearance and, and it's not just their relationships and that appearance, but then they're internal, like what they're feeling and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty question, a bit of a question of when we're going to see all this. If we're going to ever see it. Right. Like, are all the wives just going to swallow these terrible jokes and everything? Are they starting to see that the world really didn't change very much at all? Yeah. That they're not any more respected mm -hmm. than they were before. It, even worse now, because they have no freedom, no skills. Yeah. I mean, they have them, but I think they're starting to understand what that means for their daughters who won't. You know what I mean? Because Serena was yeah. educated. Naomi, somebody said somewhere that she was might have been a judge. Oh, that'd be interesting. So you think about that in terms of like, you know what I mean? They've had the benefits of a good education. Like, but and their kids coming up like Eve. It. Yeah, they're not getting it. And they're not going to get it. At least <laughs> daughters aren't. And they're starting to make it clear that they're, you know what I mean? Like they're getting that. It's an ill-fitting shoe for some of them. Yeah, I mean, even some that are that walked out on Serena have to start be seeing this too. Well, yeah, they're the ones that are more scared. Mm -hmm. But I never took Naomi Putman, Putnam for a frightened woman. Oh God, no! I've never seen that either. Yeah, she's not scared. So you know, maybe some of maybe some of her will rub off on Serena eventually. You know, reminder of what she's capable of. Oh yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that rolls out. But I think I think they're doing a really good job of like exploring all the complicated all the complicated relationships in a situation like this. And without making it too soap opera. You know what I mean? Because that's what soap operas are always going for. It's complicated relationships in order to like create storyline and, you know, character development, plot arcs. It's not that kind of low level, low level work there. It's way more, what would their relationships really be like? And how does changes in context and situation affect those relationships? And mm -hmm. then, you know what I mean? Both oh, yeah. publicly and privately. Off Joseph, you know, June is supposed to be Commander Lawrence's handmade but the level of intimacy and the relationship between herself and fred and serena is not that's not kosher oh goodness no it's not <laughs> how people perceive it right they see them as separate but they're not still mm -hmm. 
there's going to be a lot of questions, especially for how long we're going to be able to keep seeing things. Like, June's on a time schedule here. Regardless of how much Fred wanted to keep her for as long as possible, she's eventually going to have to go, and that's going to change some of the relationships around her, too. I mean, I don't know how the, the handmaids work for you've had a kid, do you just go to another posting? Or is is her time running out and she's going off to the great farm in the sky? I think somebody else had mentioned this too on Reddit. This was a discussion, but, and I can't remember because it's been a while. It might have even been last year, but the understanding was that they, they had to do two years and then they were three children and then they were gone, which and now I'm questioning because Matthew is still there. Mm-hmm. She's had three. And they're going for a four. Why isn't she getting shuffled off to be an aunt? Because it or makes whatever. sense that that's what they would become. Mm-hmm. Is aunt. Or if they've got the training for it, a Martha. I don't know. I don't know. We need these answers. I kind of was a little bit angry at Luke. Why? Because taking Nicole Holly out to a place where he's going to get videotaped. A little bit. On purpose. It could have been, but it, it kind of gets me like, dude, you know this child was not given over to Canada, and you're filing paperwork and everything. Keep this kid inside for a little bit. Don't yeah, don't I, go to protests. Right. I I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm I get Luke. I do. I don't know. It, it it's just that it irritated me a little. I was like, Luke, are you really thinking this through? And that was well, all I. Kim and June have that in common, don't they? Yeah, that's very true. They wouldn't have gotten together otherwise. Yeah, they they both are in the moment kind of people. They're not really super thoughtful about consequences. Mm-hmm. So you know, it doesn't surprise me that he did it. It, it wasn't the brightest move. Mm-mm. This is an exceptionally high profile situation oh yeah Where if this shows to be believed she is the first and only child to have been brought to canada via a handmaid and a fresh one a fresh baby this like it's not a two-year-old it's not a no this is a this is an infant less than six months old who was smuggled across the border by no less than a handmaid this is really high profile. This is oh. one of those things where you don't like, yeah, you don't start an Instagram for Holly. Yeah. Like I said, I can see why, but it's still like, come on, Luke. Wait until whatever your paperwork has gone through. I have a feeling he just wants Spreadwater for to feel his anguish. I, that could be too. He... He does have kind of a blind side to that, which is explainable, but still. I'm surprised Moira wasn't there to tell him not to take her to this protest. She could have been working. (laughs) Yeah. Or she was there too, just videotaping, like, heck yeah. Yeah, we didn't really, we don't really know. But it just seems like the sort of thing that Moira would have said, eh, are you sure that's Eh. a great idea? Or Aaron? Oh, yeah. Eh, eh. might not be the best plan but he just did it I don't know I guess we'll see in the next episode if that if anything changes that the consequences are of his decision to do something kind of 
silly. I mean, he could have gone and he could have taken a picture and been just as, you know what I mean? It could have been just as useful picture of the child. Mm-hmm. But it makes you wonder what the fuck Iliad thinks they're going to be able to accomplish against. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's the, they've got a hand, they've got other handmaids who've escaped. They've got aunts who've escaped. They've got all the letters and everything. I don't know if what could be done about that. And the only way I can imagine that diplomatically they would be able to get, to get the child out of the country is to ask for a DNA test. And Canada might be able to refuse them just because neither of her parents petitioning for her return actually have, she has none of their DNA. I mean, if you're talking about like UNICEF or world organizations, you saw how they, they responded to Emily, like exactly how they were reading off the list. It was essentially reading off like the sexual violence is a weapon of war kind of thing. So it's like, what protections does it have? Right. And what protections does Holly have just because she's in Canada and not in Gilead? Mm-hmm. Regardless of who her parents are. Yeah. Based on what Canada already knows about the way women are treated. It will, uh... It's interesting. It's interesting. We'll find out, I guess. Because I can't... I mean, you can tell that Waterford's already... Like, they were ready to do something. And the eyes want to do something. Mm-hmm. God, I hope they're not going to do something with, like... I don't know, like secret organization stuff. Yeah, let's because that could set off a lot. Yeah. Let's hope it doesn't turn into forty-eight hours or or Homeland. Never watched those, so I still hope that too. <sighs> It'll be awful. So I can't think of any other themes. The rest of the episode was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, just outside of theming, I think it was um, it was good. I like the dialogue was thoughtful. I do wonder about this new handmaid um, of Matthew. Yeah, June's walking partners. That's a thing. She's interesting. I wonder what that's going to break. I don't know if she's playing or if she's so broken by the fact of the whole three children thing that something's going to happen. And I did think it was good to see a little humanity out of Aunt Lydia. Mm-hmm. I I still love Ann Dowd. I just don't have to like Aunt Lydia very much. I know. And I love Emily's story. It was really good. I think the whole episode is really exceptional. I'm still baffled and amazed and befuddled by what in the actual fuck was wrong with all of these critics who hated it. Who hated the first six episodes. I do not get it. Because I have yet to see anything that indicates that kind of response. Yeah, I have no idea. It's, uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. Did they just... Just a bunch of guys who are pissed off because there weren't enough explosions? Or, I mean, I don't understand. I don't know. I mean, people complained last season that it wasn't moving fast enough. So they've moved. They're fast. But it's still keeping pace that it's not just, oh, it's not Game of Thrones rushed. Yeah. You don't skip three books to get to the end. Yeah. I mean... So it's like, I don't, I don't know where these complaints were. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. If any of you who are listening get it, leave us a note. I don't understand. I'm confused mm-hmm. because I have yet to find anything wrong with this season. Not it's a thing. It's exceptional. 
And I think that might wrap us up for this week. It is. I hope so. So there it is, folks. We have any shout outs? I don't really have any. Oh, yeah, I do. One. Off Glenn. (laughs) I am so freaking sorry that we tagged you in our post and then you didn't get to hear your name. And I know you're not going to listen to this, but maybe somebody else will and will convey to you that I'm deeply sorry about that, actually. Yeah. I just was like wanting to tag everybody who was sort of in that little community so that everybody that was in it knew that I was paying attention and that I was appreciating everything you guys do. I was not, I didn't mean for you to feel left out. And I certainly didn't mean for you to listen to a podcast that was spoilered for you, which you didn't have to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, I, I, I'm really sorry about that. So that's, that's a Twitter shout out. Um, Reddit, I guess I'll go back to posting my posts on Reddit without any pictures, because now that I post with pictures, (laughs) all of my posts that announce our podcasts being dropped get downvoted. Which is weird. Yeah, I don't get it, but it's fine. I will stop doing that because it is an offense to somebody. To somebody. I, well, I don't know. You don't see who downvotes you, but I sure got downvoted. Wish I could tell you. <laughs> I don't care. You care I mean, a little. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to offend people, but if they can't talk to me about it and ask me not to do it and not just downvote me, I kind of don't care at that point. Hmm. I mean, if you're going to, if you have the big girl panties enough to downvote it, to have the big girl's panties enough to drop me a fucking PM on reddit and say would you quit putting pictures in it's really hard on my phone or whatever Mm -hmm. i mean just tell me that i'll do it you don't have to downvote me but whatever (laughs) we want to thank all of our listeners our continuously growing list of listeners and all of those who have remained faithful this far through the podcast putting up with our weirdness i really want to thank you oh my goodness we can't believe, like, we go and look at the, our analytics for this, and it's just mind-boggling. It is. Honestly, I spend half the time going, I'm sorry, what's going on now? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, it's just, uh, we're agog. So thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it that you keep listening. We hope you continue to listen. And we hope that some of you will be encouraged to stick with us and read and listen to the supporting stuff later for both shows and be with us. And we start harlots in July because we are super stoked about harlots. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, and it's, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Harlots has got a little more humor. Hopefully we haven't seen the next season. Well, just in general, it usually is us have a few more funny bits, but um, just, we really hope you stick with it. And stick along through all of this so that when we get to post-season, then you guys can can talk about the texts and we can talk about the ways in which these two shows speak to women's issues across the board and how that might have something to teach us in our modern context from both. So that's it. We just wanted to tell you all, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for sticking with us and keep doing it and sharing it. And we will be back next week with the next episode.
of Handmaids and Harlots. Blessed be the fight. Blessed be the fight. There you go. Never over until she says it is. Okay. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap on another episode of Handmaids and Harlots, the podcast. We are indebted to EDM Mond for use of their song, Memories, Innocence of a Girl, available through Audio Library. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please smash your like button wherever you find us. Follow us on Twitter at HandmaidsH, where you can make comments, share news and thoughts, or email us directly at HandmaidsNHarlots at gmail.com. And for essays by either myself or Kay, check out and subscribe to our WordPress blog at handmaidsnharlots.wordpress.com. Until next time, peace be with you.